year 1593, a young Italian man by the name of Antonio Bosio made a remarkable discovery. 15 years earlier, in 1578, there were some workers who had been digging and they'd accidentally come across an ancient burial chamber underneath the city of Rome. But it wasn't until 15 years later, when the 18-year-old Antonio began to explore the site, that the full scope of what these diggers had stumbled across started to become clear. Because as Antonio explored this burial chamber, he realized that it wasn't unique. In fact, it was connected to an enormous network of underground chambers and hallways, hundreds of miles of them, that exist beneath the city of Rome. Although he didn't know it at the time, what he had discovered were the Roman catacombs, which had been used by Christians as well as by some Jews and Romans all the way back since the second century, used to bury their dead. Now, in and of itself, these catacombs are fascinating. But what makes them especially interesting is that they are the earliest and the most extensive remains of Christian art, fresco paintings that the Christians use to decorate the tombs of their loved ones. And, and these pieces of art are more than just pretty paintings. They are evidence of how these early Christians thought about their faith, what symbols they chose to use to represent their faith. There's a variety of them, as you might imagine, but do you know what the most frequent one is? What image did Christians choose more than any other to adorn their tombs almost 2,000 years ago? Well, the answer might surprise you. It was the symbol of a shepherd, a young shepherd holding a sheep on his shoulders. It's everywhere in the catacombs. Among the art that remains, researchers have discovered more than 120 examples of this symbol of a shepherd. Which makes you wonder, why this image? Of all the possible images that Christians could have used to decorate these burial chamber chambers, why the image of a shepherd? Well, of course, as you may know, shepherds are a frequent theme in the Bible. Some of Israel's greatest heroes were shepherds, men like Moses and David. And shepherds play a significant role in the story of the birth of Jesus. And of course, God himself is also referred to as a shepherd in books like the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah, as well as in multiple of the Psalms. And one of the most well-known Psalms of all, in fact, describes God in this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All of these biblical references may have played a role in the appeal of this symbol to early Christians, but it is almost certain that their main reason for choosing to paint it so often on their tombs was actually another passage of scripture from the Gospel of John. You can find it in John chapter 10. It comes right after a conflict 
between Jesus and a group of Pharisees in the previous chapter. When they were arguing, these Pharisees were arguing with Jesus about the propriety of healing a man born blind on the Sabbath. Now, the blind man, of course, he was ecstatic that Jesus had returned his sight. But the Pharisees thought that Jesus' choice to do a work of healing on the Sabbath, they thought that constituted a violation of God's law. And the whole episode ends with Jesus indicting these Pharisees for their callous treatment of the man. And then immediately after that, Jesus begins to employ what, what John in verse 10 refers to as a paromia, which is a, a parable or a, a figure of speech. Or as one translator puts it, I like this, picture language. And the picture that Jesus describes to them is the picture of a sheepfold where sheep are being brought in at the end of the day to eat and sleep in comfort and safety. And Jesus talks about in this picture image two different categories of people who might try to come into the sheepfold. Now, the shepherd himself on the one hand and then those that intend harm to the sheep, those whom he calls thieves. It's not terribly difficult to guess who Jesus might have foremost in his mind when he talks about these, these strangers, these thieves who break into the sheepfold and try, as he puts it, to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. Remember, it was just one chapter earlier that Jesus had gotten into that argument with a bunch of Pharisees who criticized him for giving sight to a blind man. But the Pharisees, they weren't the only thieves and bandits that Jesus had in mind. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, in the Old Testament, God had announced his judgment against generations of leaders in Israel, leaders who had abused those under their care, leaders who had used their position for their own advancement and enrichment, instead of caring for the well-being of those who had been entrusted to them. And the prophet Ezekiel, he had referred to these abusive and these self-interested leaders as shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Now, whether or not Jesus had this passage from Ezekiel in mind when he described those who had come before him with the intention to steal, steal and kill and destroy, there's no doubt that his description, it does bear a strong resemblance to, to the kind of leaders, the kind of wicked shepherds that Ezekiel was talking about. And really, it's not that different from many of our own experiences with leadership either. It's interesting, there have been a number of studies in recent years that all suggest that Americans, we have reached an all-time low in our trust, both of public leaders and public institutions. More so than in years past, we simply don't find those who have been given positions of public trust to be trustworthy people. And I'm not just talking about politicians. This includes a wide variety of leaders, business leaders, educators, scientists, religious leaders. They're all less trusted than they once were. 
But why is that? Why don't we trust our modern-day shepherds? Why are we so inclined to think that they are untrustworthy, that they are deceptive? Well, there are no doubt a lot of reasons for it, but one of the more insightful explanations, at least that I've found, comes from the political philosopher and author Yuval Levin. He says that one of the main reasons for this record low level of trust in American leaders One of the reasons is the behavior of those leaders themselves, especially in the age of social media. It has become commonplace and even kind of expected that those who are given positions of leadership, that they use their position not as an opportunity to serve the purpose of the institution to which they belong, but instead, increasingly, they use their position as just a platform from which to advance their own interests and further their own professional ambitions. And Yuval Levin, he's right. I don't need to give you any examples of this tendency. I'm sure you can come up with your own. The point is, we're very familiar with the kind of people Jesus is talking about when he refers to those who sneak into the sheepfold to kill and steal and destroy. We know about dishonest and self-serving leaders. And that's why, on the whole, we become deeply suspicious of our leaders. It's why we feel like we can't trust them. And no doubt, the people who heard Jesus speaking that day, no doubt they felt the same. But notice what Jesus does with this little parable that he tells. Or maybe I should say, notice what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say that they're corrupt and self-serving people getting into the sheepfold, and so the sheep better learn how to take care of themselves. Nor really does he spend a lot of time talking about how terrible those thieves are and how they're going to get what's coming to them. No, Jesus acknowledges that there's a crisis, but his solution to it is to draw our attention back to himself. I, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But what makes Jesus a good shepherd? Or as you could translate this word, a beautiful, wonderful shepherd. Why is he so different from all those who have come before? Why would a sheep who has already been deceived and abused trust any shepherd? Well, first, Jesus says, Because unlike all those other leaders who are primarily concerned with their own good and they're willing to steal and kill to get what they want, Jesus, he's motivated by an entirely different purpose. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, he says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's one of the reasons that Jesus is a good shepherd. But there's also another. Not only is Jesus focused on the good of his sheep, not only does he come for the, for the single purpose that they may have life, what sets Jesus apart from every other leader is his love for those under his care. That's not like other leaders because many leaders, Jesus says, they're like hired workers. They'll look after the sheep but only because they're getting something out of it. And so when hardship or when danger arise, 
If it begins to look like they're going to have to sacrifice something, well, then they protect themselves and they just run away. But not Jesus. He's not just looking after his people because he's, get the, he's getting something out of it. He's looking after them because, he says, because he knows them. He loves them. So much so, in fact, that he, the good shepherd, is willing to give up even his own life for them. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Is it any wonder that this is the image that early Christians chose more than any other to adorn the walls of their burial chambers? Because as much as they may have liked to pretend like they didn't need a shepherd, as much as those early Christians may have been tempted to, to just depend on themselves instead of trusting those in leadership, they couldn't deny the reality of their own death. As they walked into those catacombs and buried their loved ones, they had to come to terms with the fact that just like sheep, they needed a shepherd. They needed someone to guide them, to protect them, to care for them, and ultimately to lead them into the pastures of a new creation. And in the person of Jesus, they found exactly what they were looking for. Not just a leader, not just a protector, but a good, a wonderful, a kind shepherd who was willing to give up even his own life for them. And of course, the same goes for you and me and for anyone who calls themselves Christian. If there's anything that the gospel of John teaches us about the condition of our own lives, it's that we are like sheep. We are vulnerable and weak and easily deceived and often led astray. And whether we like it or not, we need a shepherd. But you might be asking, what does that even mean? How do I relate to Jesus as a shepherd? Well, I'm sure you could say a lot to that question, but one of the simplest answers I could give is to say that you relate to Jesus by listening to him. In fact, that's how Jesus himself first describes the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep at the beginning of the chapter. He says that the sheep know the voice of their shepherd, that they listen to it and that they respond. And not only that, he says, but they intentionally disregard other voices. They will not listen and they will not follow the voice of a stranger, only the voice of the shepherd. And that's significant. And it's hard because we live in a time when we're being constantly bombarded by all kinds of voices, by other leaders who want us to listen to them and follow them. And that raises a question for those of us who recognize Jesus as the one true good shepherd and want to follow him. Whose voice are we really listening to? Whom do we most trust? As the Anglican theologian David Ford puts it, in a culture with innumerable other voices coming through many media, what are the habits of listening, attention, reading, rereading, meditation, reflection, and communication 
that can best nurture what is desired, the abundant life that Jesus now says he came to enable. Jesus is indeed, as he says, the good shepherd. The question for us, the question for you and for me is, are we actually listening to his voice and following where he is leading us?